Welcome back to episode 7 of Finding Your Fearless, a Melbourne Vixens podcast hosted by Joe Weston. Finding Your Fearless is presented by Deakin University. At Deakin, every single course is backed by industry experts. This means you can be confident you'll get the job you want with a degree employers want. Deakin University, progressive real-world learning. Today, I am joined by water polo superstar, Rowie Webster. She is a two-time Olympian and has played over 300 games for Australia. She is currently the captain of the team and is leading the charge as they go and take on the world at the Tokyo Olympics. Enjoy this chat with Rowie. Rowie, thank you for joining me and welcome to Finding Your Fearless. Uh, Where are you at the moment? Hey, Joey. Thanks for having me. Um, We are currently in our last staging camp in Cairns. So we've kind of been um, all around Queensland for the last couple of months um, on a training camp or, you know, training with the Olympic squad. But our charter flight is next Saturday out of Cairns. So we've been based here for two weeks and we've got a week to go. Oh, wow. One week to go. And is that just the water polo team that is heading away on the charter flight or have you got a couple of extra sports heading with you? Yeah, great question. There's actually... Cairns is like a, a hub at the moment. So on our flight, we're going to have um, the hockey team, water polo, women, all of the swimmers, um, the rowers are coming in as well from um, Rockhampton. So it's going to be the place to be. Uh, the athletics um, competitors just came up yesterday. Rugby sevens are up here. It's oh, wow. just, it's just, there's just Olympic athletes absolutely everywhere. So everyone up in Cairns is kind of starting to feel um, feel the vibes of what the game could potentially look like. That's actually super exciting. We went to Cairns last year to play an Indigenous round and I'd, I'd never been there before and we had an amazing turnout. I think they love their their sport up there and it's probably been nice to see so many Olympic athletes in the flesh before. We're going to see you on the TV screen in a couple of weeks but I guess most of the listeners that tune in uh, normally, Melbourne Vixens fans, they do have a broad knowledge of sport, but obviously you are a water polo star, which some would probably consider a little bit of a niche sport. Um, talk to me and everyone, I guess, about how you got into it and why you love it so much. Yeah, cool. Well, firstly, I'm the Vixens water girl, unofficially. So <laughs> when, I'm back in, when, I'm, when I'm back in Victoria, that's, that's where I know my spot in your lineup. Um, but yeah, look, water polo is... Um, it's fairly niche, as you said. Um, in in um, obviously a Melbourneian, so I got in through high school, um, and that's how a lot of athletes in water polo get involved is through school. Um, unless you've had a parent play previously before you, um, we have a lot of athletes that come from swimming because they just get really sick of following the black line, and <laughs> we're a lot more fun than the swimmers. So we um, yeah, we steal, we steal a lot of a lot of and then also we have the, you know, maybe the basketballers or the surf life saving crew that predominantly live in major cities and water polo has been an option at school. Um, and, yeah, we just – we grab them that way. But it is a small sport in Australia in comparison to what it would be like in Europe. I think it's the Hungarian national sport um, in, in Greece and Italy. Like, it's as big as soccer. So mm. it's, um, it's small here, but we, we kind of like it that way. It is. It probably fosters a really nice sense of community because it's probably quite intimate that you all know each other, which is probably quite special when you get to represent your country. But I know you pay in the back end. Obviously, I'm a defender. 
They are the backbone of any team sport. Um, <laughs> the thing I've probably been most curious about is netball doesn't really have a sin bin per se. You do have to be um, <laughs> warned a couple of times to be sent off. It has happened recently. It did happen last year. Um, can you explain maybe some of the foul rules? I know that things are a little bit different in the sport. And obviously being a defender is tough. You know, your work's cut out for you. Definitely, Joey. I can I can empathise with you there. The attackers always get the advantage, don't they? And it's oh, for sure. Annoying. Um, so we have a three foul rule. So each player in the water gets the opportunity to get two major fouls, which means well, you actually get an opportunity to get three major fouls, but on your third one, you can no longer take part in the game. So mm-hmm. a major foul means that you've basically either hit someone in the head, you've drowned them, oh. you've stopped them from scoring what would be a goal unless you impeded them. Um, so like a sure goal, if you, yeah, basically if you pull them back or you drown them or you knock them in the head, um, you have to go to the sim bin for 20 seconds and then you have a power play uh, or the opposition have a power play. So it means that they've got six players attacking and you're defending with five players. So um, for those statistic buffs out there, we always say if you can score – 40% of your power plays, you're in pretty good stead of, of winning the game. So, um, yeah, but we have a lot of times where we don't have our major defenders because they're on three fouls. So mm-hmm. they kind of put their body on the line um, and it's their job. And in, in the Australian singers culture, we say, like, no one gets scored off you as a centre-back. So that would be a goalkeeper or a goal defence. So if you have to go to the sin bin, then so be it. And we'll we'll play um, a man down for 20 seconds so rather than them getting a whole scored off them so um, yeah some players get more fouls than others you know and it doesn't mean they're a bad player it just means they're probably a higher priority defender than most. Ah, that's really interesting and water polo is so physical it's one of those things where I guess a lot of the um, contact sometimes happens under the water and you guys just seem to miraculously float above the surface and <laughs> keep the ball up some people do say I kind of have like a water polo-esque passing mechanism definitely not as accurate and not as strong <laughs> <laughs> you guys throw the ball very fast and I just like to say we are a known contact sport but you netty players that's a non for a non-contact sport is very fierce I've seen you girls go up and down that court and have body clashes. So, yeah, we do We do say the referees kind of only see about 50% of what actually mm. goes on. Um, <laughs> I sneaky. think what happens, yeah, what happens in the water stays in the water. Uh, and the only way they can kind of see what's going on is there's an underwater camera, which um, sometimes makes you quite vulnerable Ooh. with a very tight swimsuit and some tugging on bathers. But, um, yeah, it's good for the crowd. So we actually met each other through the Victorian Institute of Sport. You've been a scholarship holder there for how many years now? Uh, well, the other day, Anne-Marie said I was the longest standing Ooh. current VIS scholarship holder. So I'm yeah. not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. But um, <laughs> I've been there since 2006. 2006. I think that is a really good thing. That's a pretty impressive title to hold. I wonder who you took over from uh, prior I think to- it was John Linky. And then I think Millie Tapper also yes. comes behind me. So I've just got to outlast Millie, really. She's got she's going to go forever, that kid. Oh, my God. Um, for those listening at home, Millie Tapper is an amazing uh, table tennis player. She represents Australia both in the Paralympic and Olympic team. Is that correct, Rowie? I'm sure. I think that that's right. That is correct. Yeah, yes. she's the only ever Australian to do so. And this is going to be her second 
um, Olympic and Paralympic back-to-back campaign. So very, very unique. It's crazy. I might try and get her on the podcast once she comes back from Tokyo. Um, a lot of, I guess, us who train at the VIS, you always are killing it in the gym. I'm very envious of your upper body strength. But I think <laughs> most of us who end up in team sports probably played a few different ones when we were growing up and sort of picked the one we liked the most. Did you ever play netball or any other team sports or even just individual sports when you were younger before settling on water polo? Yeah, I was a I was a very, very keen netballer and basketballer. So originally growing up I wanted to go to the Olympics for basketball. Mm-hmm. Um and I played I played representative basketball until I was about seventeen. Um oh, but wow. I kind of I kind of fell in love with water polo through school and it certainly wasn't natural ability or natural talent. Like I had ball skills from netball and basketball and things like that, but I've had to work very, very hard to I guess um come up to speed with some of the swimmers that have mm-hmm. kind of transitioned across um, to water polo. And, um, yeah, surf life saving was my other love. So I think if surf life saving was an Olympic sport, I would have done that. Um, but I just I just love the – I guess for me, water polo merges everything that I love. Like the water, it's a team sport, it's a bull sport. Um, yeah, and I just get to travel all around the world mm. doing it. So I basically chased the summer. So <laughs> as a kid, we tried everything. We had the opportunity to play everything. I was the youngest of four kids. So, you know, playing cricket, I always had to bowl, never got to bat. Um, in soccer, I was always the goalie because my brother would, you know, want to kick the balls at me or something. <laughs> so I, um, I tried everything, but I just, I just so happened to fall in love with, with water polo. That is amazing. And I think... All of us have probably dabbled along the way and it's probably really special for you that you found a sport which sort of ticks so many of the boxes of something you love to do and you get to do it for a career. So I guess you have played over 300 games for Australia, um, which I just think is such an amazing effort. Is that one of the largest, uh, I guess, cap numbers you see in water polo or are there, are there more that, more players that have played more games than that? Yeah, so I'm one of three that have reached the 300 milestones. So I think, I don't know whether we're crazy in the sport, but I think that just is a testament to to the program, to the sport, to, to what kind of sport gives you as an elite athlete. And I think we always have the mentality that we're ordinary people trying to ex- um, achieve extraordinary things. And I think that's something that I've kind of used as my guide um, and, uh, you know, I haven't really felt like I've ever wanted to retire, um, even with injuries and, and things like that. So I'll play the game for as long as I love it. And I think as long as I can keep that in in my in my sights, then I'm going to play, you know, um, for a lot longer. But, yeah, it's pretty special. I think capping up for Australia is the most incredible feeling and then capping up for Australia at the Olympics is, you know, the icing on the cake um, and it just, you know, Joey, you've played for you've played for Australia, you know, standing with a whole group of girls, um, you know, empowered women, singing the national anthem, like it doesn't really give you a better high than that um, and you, you almost chase the impossible. Um, so I've always had a dream of leading, you know, being captain of the national team and leading them to a gold medal and and whether that will ever happen, I'm not too sure. But, um, you know, you kind of just go down gambling. And I think um, the best thing about athletes is they're willing to, 
to share their goals and their dreams with society and be willing to fail and be okay with with failing. So I'll play for as long as I can. Yeah, and 300 caps is just something that has come along the way. Oh, Roy, that is so beautiful. I think it's really hard to articulate what sport means to so many people and I think it is really that idea of being able to dare to dream and just give it your all and sometimes that comes off and sometimes it doesn't but you know if you never give it a shot you're never going to know what you're capable of achieving and I know you're going to have lots of support when you pursue that dream uh, in a couple of weeks time so I guess if we flash back you are a two-time Olympian soon to be three-time which in and of itself is an incredible achievement Rowie. you play you, you won a bronze medal in 2012 yep. um that was against hungary are they sort of like um uh, and then you did lose to them in rio what i guess talk to me about i guess your international competitors and what it looks like going into the olympics this time around it's probably a bit uh, different because you haven't probably had much international competition over the last few years or last year and a bit yeah, I think that's, you know, this is going to be the most unique Olympics I think anyone has ever faced, whether you're a staff member, an athlete, a spectator. I, I think it's it's going to be an Olympics of whoever can adapt the quickest. Mm. Um, and for Team Australia, yeah, we have had a really good history of success at the Olympic Games. You know, we won a gold in Sydney 2000 and then bronze in um Beijing and and I was lucky enough to be a part of the the London team that won a bronze and as you said we got beaten by in in a penalty shootout um, at the the Rio Olympics to to even qualify into the medal round so we we pulled up short there but I think for us um, we haven't played an international game in two years so this is wow. by far the longest I've ever gone without playing a game you know a proper game so. What that looks like, I'm not even sure, you know, for those out there, the nerves that you are used to come game day will be, you know, exacerbated by the fact that we just haven't practiced. Um, our stress signatures are going to come out. But I think the Olympics is incredible in itself. And, I, and I, we always say, like, there's only one thing standing between us and the gold medal, and that's ourselves. So I'm a true believer of we've done everything we can you know, we've made every choice to be as prepared as possible. And we did have the choice to go to the United States and play some friendlies before. I say friendlies in inverted commas. Um, it's never they that were never going to be friendly. <laughs> yeah, they were, they were never going to be friendly. Um, we had, you know, we had an opportunity to play the best team in the world as a, as a lead up. But with COVID um, and quarantine and things like that, we actually decided that the best thing for the team was getting every athlete to the Olympic Games mm-hmm. because we would never forgive ourselves if we didn't get all our players and all our staff to the Olympic Games. So we made that choice to not play any international games um, and we'll just see how we go. And I think, you know, we've done the best we can in the scenario that we had. Um, you know, I was locked in Melbourne for seven months away from my team. Right. We. You know, we've rebooted. We thought we were going to the Olympics in 2020. It got postponed. The fact of the matter is we're playing for our country. We're, you know, playing alongside 12 other girls that have earned the right to be there and we will just, you know, be as successful as we can be. And if not, well, then I truly think that we've put everything on the line and we gave ourselves the best opportunity. So what will be will be and Mm -hmm. it's just hard work and um, a bit of luck. It is always just like a little bit of good timing or 
everyone having a good day on the right day, sometimes especially in a tournament format. Um, I know you're going to have everyone back here and across the world supporting you. I'm so excited for the Olympics. I just I was yeah. speaking to Jenna yeah. the other day and I was cool. talking to her and I was like, oh, I feel like because it had just never seemed like I guess for me not being um, eligible for the sport or anything like that. Yeah. I was like, it's, surely it's going to happen, but it just – I'm sure for you it was even more difficult because you're having to go through all of this training and put yourself through with the hope that everything was going ahead but sort of that unknown about what was going to happen, which just seems to be the moral of the story of the last 18 months, but especially you yeah. having to go through lockdown in Victoria. That's so tough. I think you're right, Joey. I think I think one of the, um, I guess, comforting things were there were so many athletes in my position, mm. so it wasn't it wasn't like, oh, woe is me. It's like, wow, this is this has really affected a lot of people. But I think everyone, once it wasn't cancelled and it was just po- po- postponed, they were like, okay, the goalposts have just moved a little bit. Let's get at it again. And I think, you know, the silver lining is it's given me another year to play the sport I absolutely love and it's given me another year to grow as a, as a captain mm-hmm. um, and as an athlete myself. So... You know, I can watch as many games as I want in terms of, you know, we face Canada in the first game. We, You know, we have Netherlands in our pool. We have South Africa. Like, I can watch as many games. But as you know, in sport, you can only face your competitor on that day. So I can't worry about what the best country in the world is doing because we might, we might not face them. You know, we might not come up against America or, you know, we might cross over with someone that we – we haven't seen, but, you know, you put your game together, you put four quarters together, and um, it's incredible what you can do. So I guess it's just a little bit of Russian roulette. Hopefully um, that sort of works in your favour. I did actually spot you in a TikTok that came up on my For You page the other day, Rowie, from one of your <laughs> teammates. Teammates, um, yes. I did like your little um, spontaneous pop. I was like, I know her. And I was trying to, because I was trying to figure out, I thought the, I'm not sure who it was. I thought she was a swimmer. And then suddenly you were there and I was like, oh, she's a water polo player. Here you go. It's the stingers. <laughs> Yeah, that'll be Tilly Kearns. She's um, all over TikTok. I'll have so to, I'll have she's to um her. Yeah, she's an Olympic debutante. So oh. she's she's a very exciting young player. Her dad was a um or is a famous rugby player, mm-hmm. Phil Kearns, but um oh, yeah. all those rugby buffs. <laughs> but um yeah, she's very into TikTok. So she sometimes drags me into things and I regret them immensely as soon as I've done them, but all in the name of fun. It is always in the name of fun. I guess speaking of you being the captain and your um, leadership style. Um, I'm always really curious about, I think leadership is, it's not easy, but it's definitely a smoother road when things are going to plan. And be interested in your insight about what you think or where you feel like you really excel in situations when things are potentially not going to plan. So say, um, I think water polo is played in halves. Is that correct? Sorry, you'll have to excuse my ignorance. No, no, that's okay. We play um, we play in quarters. Play so in quarters. we have, um, yeah, we play in eight-minute quarters. And that, is, that isn't a lot of time, I guess, to change things out in the pool. But, you know, what is your mindset if things aren't potentially going your team's way out there? Yeah, definitely. So my natural leadership, I guess style would be lead by example um, and that can be it can be a real blessing um, you know when you line up every single day at training and you, you truly want to want to be there I think leading by example is 
a really good way to kind of say, well, follow me, guys. Um, that always doesn't always work in the game because sometimes you want to do more and sometimes you just need to pull back and lead. So I think um, communication in the pool is really important. So whenever there's a stoppage, no matter how um, short it is, I just try and make eye contact first and foremost with the girls in the pool and it might be one one little word that we've we've practiced over and over again, like maybe lockdown or something like that, and and that triggers a innate response, like okay, this is the defense that we have to lock down for, like regardless, no one scores here, and then we'll go break the pattern. Um, it is it is challenging. I think with having no crowds in Tokyo, we've got the benefit of being able to hear the coach. Yeah. So at the Olympic Games. You can never hear the coach what they're saying. You know, they can't really direct you. I guess on a netball court is the same in a final. Um, it's very loud. But the, the benefit of having no crowds is our coach can literally stand on the side of the pool and commentate our game if needed. <laughs> so I think that kind of takes a little bit of the load off me. But I think you just have to be willing to put yourself out there and make a change that you see fit and then crop it on the chin if it doesn't go to plan. Uh, I guess that's that's been spoken about between the coach and the captain prior to the game. At the end of the day, I'm, I'm all about just a little smile. I think we can all get in our own heads. So if you can pull someone out by just smiling and saying, like, we do this because we want to do it and we love it, then, you know, the, the, the girls will take care of themselves. But, you know, sport doesn't always go our way and that's, that's kind of why we play it, I guess. Well, I think... You're amazing for leading such an impressive team into what is quite a big unknown with the upcoming Olympics. I guess if we step away from the pool for a minute, um, maybe I know obviously uh, netball is still considered a semi-professional sport, but maybe you could enlighten the listeners about, I guess, what is the reality of being um, a water polo athlete and what that looks like in terms of you having to have an additional job or pursue activities um, away from the sport. Yeah, that's a really um, it's a really cool thing. I think no female athlete, in my opinion, is overpaid. So <laughs> I just think there are a lot of underpaid female athletes. So even though a lot of sports might earn more than us, I, I never I never see it as a, a jealousy thing. Or I, I mean, to put it into perspective, we get two hundred dollars a week. Mm -hmm. um, on tour and then um, not a whole lot when we're not on tour we get a little bit of we call it dais funding so it's direct athlete support from the local government or from the state government and the Australian government um, but we yeah we're, we're under minimum wage currently so we earn That's under twenty three thousand dollars a year um, to play our sport so at the moment we, we look quite tough um, mm -hmm. But, it, it, yeah, so we've got girls at uni, we've got girls working full-time, coming into the Olympics to each other that we weren't going to we weren't gonna work so we could train as full-time athletes. So, you know, the girls that are paying mortgages or rent, it, it, puts a, it does put a financial toll on that. But I think we never thought of getting rich through this sport. And, we, you know, we weren't, you weren't a five-year-old rowie going, I want to be rich playing sport. Um, but I think... Yeah, it, it, it is a slog, Joey, and um, I think anyone that can get on board and, and help Olympic athletes from smaller sports, you know, whether it's community-based, whether it's just, you know, a, a food sponsor or um, free access to a gym or, or physios or a little bit more media exposure, I think, you know, you can always make a change even if it's not financially. Yeah, I think that's a really good message for anyone who is potentially listening and even when 
I think about all the people we see around the gym. I guess there are some sports at the Olympics that are probably deemed more glamorous than others and probably have a bit more financial backing behind them. And, you know, you do so much to represent your country. It's not, um, you know, people going out of their way to try and, you know, make a whole lot of money and be able to live off that. They just pretty much want to be able to play sport and not have to sacrifice any of their, I guess, other time away from the pool or the gym just to be able to sustain a living. And yeah, I guess it's, I've never really thought about how just small offers can go such a long way. And I know um, that I think you've got such an amazing story. And, you know, when you're back from the Olympics, I'm sure there's going to be hundreds of schools or workplaces so interested in hearing about how you manage the situation and how you conquered all of the challenges. So I, I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking prom. It's looking promising for you, Rowie, I think. Yeah. I think that like, thanks Joey. And I appreciate like everything you said. And I think, you know, the fact that we still have, um, we've got a, a, a player on my team who's the first Australian female to, ever go to four Olympics. Her name's Bron Knox. So wow. she was um, captain in, in Rio and she um, she stepped down from that captaincy and and um, I took over her, you know, over her shoes. But, you know, she's still paying $40 for a pair of goggles, you know, six times a year. So you just think about that and you think, like, how do we, how do we let these incredible athletes that are such good role models in, in the community kind of slip through the cracks so I think there's there's work to be done but mm. I think the first step is just getting behind us and supporting us at the Olympic Games and then I think we can talk about the rest later but I think it's all about just you know maybe following those athletes from the smaller sports and they might not be able to give back as much or you know be as famous in the media or anything like that but um, each and every one has a pretty incredible story of how they got to where they got to and and the choices, the tough choices that they made to be where they are. And, um, yeah, so I just, so I guess for the community that listens to your podcast, Joey, and I'm sure it's an incredible community, just, yeah, jump on board each each athlete's journey and just see what we've got to offer. That sounds, I'm definitely going to be checking out a few in four Olympics. That is just such an amazing, mind-blowing achievement. Um, <laughs> that is crazy. That could be you in another three years, Rowie. So there you go. Yeah, three more years in Paris. Just... I'll be eating baguettes. Either way, I'll be there. Whether I'm um, mm-hmm. ten kilos heavier or <laughs> I'm still playing, I'll I'll be there regardless. Um, I know you love to travel, and that's probably, I guess, the beauty of being playing a sport which is uh, very popular away from Australia and especially in the mm-hmm. Northern Hemisphere. Maybe you can talk to some, I guess, of the highlights you've had um, of your career so far, whether it was the result of a competition or just the destination in and of itself. Yeah, so I guess um, probably my favourite place to play is Hungary, which is so unique in itself because it's a landlocked country and I just love the ocean. So I never thought I would (laughs) fall in love with a a country that was landlocked. And they have this island called Waterpolo Island. What? And, um, yeah, there's two bridges in and they have eight pools on this island and it is literally the home of Waterpolo and it's just credible. Like you go and play there, whether you're the female team or the male team, you go off and play there and the, the fans let off flares and 
they're just constantly banging drums and you just feel like an absolute superstar. And it starts from the very start of the whistle and it goes all the way to the end of the game. And it's just incredible. Like the atmosphere is just brilliant. So yeah, it's taken us to some wonderful places. We've, you know, we played a world cup in um, a place called Huntingman's Tisk, which is in Siberia. So, you know, like we never would have got to Siberia. Um, you know, we played in South Korea, we've played, yeah, Italy, Spain, Greece, we're just, wow. you know, Serbia, Montenegro, USA, Canada, like we've literally traveled the globe, um, chasing a ball like puppies. So it's just <laughs> incredible. And I think it just gives you back so much more. And, you know, people that have traveled on holidays, you learn so much and you get to see so much. And as an elite athlete, you don't get to necessarily immerse yourself as much in the culture because you're in the little sport bubble um, and everyone tries to protect you. But I always, at the end of every major tournament, which is the last tournament of every year, I always try and stay in the destination that the, the World Champs was or the World Cup was and do a little bit of travelling and, and just learn about my surroundings a little bit more. So, um, but yeah, I always, I love the places that have outdoor pools and the sun's shining and they're on a cliff face, you know, in in Serbia and it's just it's very cool like sport just gives you so much it really does and that sounds amazing I know you are a water baby at heart and you're still a pretty avid surfer I guess apart from that what do you do with your free time when you're not training up a storm because for everyone listening I have never seen anyone train harder than Rowie does at the gym it is <laughs> it is crazy whether you're absolutely ripping into it on a watt bike or with the battle ropes you and Jono who's one of the S&C coaches gosh it is it is a sight to see definitely yeah Jono and I have a good bromance so I think I just get energy from everyone else around me so I go into the VIS with a plan of doing an hour what bike and then I get talking to someone and I think, oh my God, I've been on this thing for two hours. And it's just, I think, um, I, I think successful athletes breed successful athletes. And I think like the culture at the VIS is sensational. You know, you girls come in, it's your second session of the day. I've seen you out on the track doing your running and then you come lifting and it, it kind of just inspires. So I always think you come out of, the VIS better than you went in because you always go in thinking how sore your quads are or something like that and you come out thinking, you, you know, you're on top of the world with endorphins and feeling pretty invigorated. So, yeah, apart from training, which takes up a lot of my time, um, I love to spend time down at Anglesey. So my family has a, a holiday house down there. Um, I love having coffee in Melbourne. I love that whole Melbourne yes. scene and trying new cafes and, and cooking new recipes. Um, and to be honest, like I'm the youngest of four kids. I actually love hanging out with my parents um, <laughs> and being away from my family, you know, for seven months every year is, is challenging. So when I'm, when I am at home, I get to spend some really quality time with my nieces and my, my brothers and my sisters. So, um, yeah, I don't get up to too much, um, but I would say coffee, surfing and, and extra sessions in the gym and on the walk bike. Very, very nice. Okay, I have one last question for you, which I actually didn't bring up with Jenna a couple of weeks ago. 
Okay, here we I, go. I haven't been to the Olympics, but I did go to the Commonwealth Games, and obviously one of the most exciting parts about that is when you receive all of the uniform and it comes in the suitcases. I've seen quite a few <laughs> yeah. photos across social media um, of people getting their kits and things like that. Yep. I know probably the bathers is yep. um, one of the most prestigious pieces, but if you could pick one other piece of uniform or one other piece of the kit that is your favourite or – you know, probably the most comfortable. Least favorite. What would it be? <laughs> okay, so I've got two. I really, really like our high top Dunlop volleys that we received, like limited edition Olympic oh, high top volleys. That I think is sick. You probably, yeah, I think in Melbourne I can definitely get some use out of them. Mm-hmm. And if I head down to Brunswick, I'll be, you know, in the scene. I'll be cool for the first <laughs> time in my life. Um but I reckon the coolest thing of our kit as a water polo player is we get an Olympic dressing gown. Ex- like we what? walk out in – well, we walk out in robes. So as part of our um, pool deck attire, we've got our obviously our swimsuit and our caps, but we walk out in what we call a robe, but everyone else calls a dressing gown. So <laughs> we're the only sport that gets to have an Olympic dressing gown. So – um, I'm going to spend my 14 days in quarantine naked underneath my dressing gown. Oh, so get, flashing people. So. Do you get slippers to match? Uh, look, Joey, let's, I'm going to put that to the AOC. That like, is a really good point. Like you can't get a dressing gown with no slippers. Like you need the matching set. <laughs> yeah, I need, I need, I also need a shower cap. Oh. Like, let's just go the whole hog. That is what we need. Definitely a big plus. Well, I'll be keeping an eagle eye out for that as you parade into the pool yeah. in your robe. You're almost like boxers getting ready to fight. I love it. Correct. Yeah, hood on. Yeah, you'll see me at the VIS in just my robe now. Yes, please. Once you come back, I do have one more question about. I think lots of people um, who are looking forward to the Olympics are obviously quite curious about what it looks like when you return. Um, mm-hmm. Do you know much about that? Like, as soon as you're finished in your competition, do you have to leave? Um, is there yeah, so, be an Olympic hotel quarantine situation? You know. Yeah. So what what's happening is basically the international federation or the IOC have made a rule that you have to leave the village 48 hours after mm-hmm. your last competition. So, for example, the swimmers only compete the first week. Um, so they'll be out after the first week. So water polo and volleyball are the two longest sports of the Olympics. So we go across the whole two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we'll be one of the last sports out. But, yeah, unfortunately, we do have to go into quarantine. So I think my chartered flight is actually going to Darwin in Howard Springs. So what that looks like, I'm not too sure. But oh, okay. um, every athlete is, is fully vaccinated, um, but we'll have to do the 14-day quarantine. So good luck to anyone that's close to a room with an athlete that has just been training for five years and then all of a sudden not allowed to do much um, <laughs> for 14 days. So hopefully there's some wine involved. Oh, yes, Joey. definitely. And, um, we can arrange a delivery yeah, some for good sure. Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> And some good Netflix because I think they're going to have a lot of bees and a lot of energy. Yeah, you'll be doing some jumping jacks. Or do you know what I actually would recommend? Yeah. I have a Nintendo Switch, uh, which is a video okay. game console, but it is so good because you can do like Just Dance or you can play any other game on it. But you get it's. Oh, yeah. uh, um, I'm the biggest advocate for it because you can have like the handheld device and then you plug it into your TV and then you can take the remotes off. So it's kind of like. It's doubling, you know, you get best of both worlds. Went to New Zealand and had to quarantine. 
Yes, I have done. I haven't had to do the proper hotel, hotel quarantine yet. We've done two stints of managed quarantine, I guess, where we were still allowed right, to go like out a loose bubble. Yeah. and train uh, once a day. But I feel like four weeks of that sort of kind of totals two weeks of hotel quarantine. I don't know, but I definitely feel yeah. for everyone who's going to have to come back. But I guess you just don't think about it until you think about it, right? You know? Yeah, that's a future Rowie problem. Yeah, so that's a, that, that is a yeah, that's a future Rowie problem. I don't even I don't even mind. Let's get a result at the Olympics, and then the rest will take care of itself. I think, Joey. Oh yeah, that sounds amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining me on Finding Your Fearless. It's been so good to hear about Pleasure. your journey and everything that's ahead of you. And I know everyone listening and everyone who's going to be tuning in to watch. The Olympics is just going to be so excited to see you out there representing our beautiful country and obviously being in Japan, which is one of my favorite countries apart from Oz. Yeah. So best of luck and thanks, thanks Joey. Joining. And thank you and good luck for the rest of your season too. Go oh, thanks, Rowie. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in to episode seven of Finding Your Fearless, a Melbourne Vixens podcast hosted by Joe Weston. How amazing was Rowie? I just think that she is such an incredible leader and I definitely took a lot from our discussion. Finding Your Fearless is presented by Deakin University. Just like the Vixens, Deakin University is fearless in its approach to learning, which is why every single course is backed by industry experts. I'm currently studying a Master of Communication, which I'm absolutely loving and I'm learning a lot along the way.